when you think about others before yourself, how you can serve others, whether it's in business or in your personal life, there's just no limit to what can be done and what good will come to you when you care about the needs and the wants of others. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Deals and money. We are constantly seeking deals and money as real estate investors, and I bet you're having a challenge right now, especially with deals, if you're like most real estate investors, because it's tough to find deals right now. But here's the thing. There's a competitive advantage out there that when implemented, it will help you accomplish your objective of getting more deals and or getting more investors. And that is having a great follow-up system. Having a great follow-up is one of the keys to success real estate and follow-up boss is the leading CRM for real estate. This is the system you need in place so you can reach out to owners and brokers directly for deals or you can follow up with your investors and you do it all in one spot. The CRM makes it 10 times faster to call and text owners then integrates those into a software so nothing slips through the cracks. The follow-up boss conversion system and powerful management tools help align your methods and drive growth that otherwise it could have been missed and probably would have been missed. Go to followupboss.com forward slash best ever to get a system in place. And if you need help, they got you covered. Follow Up Boss offers experts seven days a week. You can pick up the phone and speak to an actual human being anytime during business hours. Visit followupboss.com forward slash best ever to check out how much time you could save by streamlining your follow-up process. Best ever listeners, they're treating you extra special. You get an extended 30-day free trial twice the length of the normal trial for a limited time, go to followupboss.com forward slash best ever and perfect your follow-up. Mark your calendars for the Best Ever Conference February 24th through 26th back in person at the Gaylord Rockies Convention Center. Join the experienced community and phenomenal speakers for a weekend of learning the best commercial real estate strategies, building relationships, and quite frankly, having a lot of fun. As a bonus, once you purchase your ticket, you are put into a mini mastermind group to start making connections with other commercial real estate investors immediately. Get the lowest prices right now at besteverconference.com. That's besteverconference.com. Best ever listeners, I'm excited to introduce you to our newest host that we're bringing on to the team. His name is Slocum Reed, along with myself and Ash. Slocum will be providing value to every interview he does I've known Slocum for years, and I've watched his portfolio continue to grow. He currently owns and operates 65 units, including converting three units into an office building. So he's an owner-operator. He's coming from certainly a different perspective than I have. I know he's going to bring his expertise and cut through the fluff and get the best real estate investing advice ever for you. So welcome, Slocum Reed. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Slocum Reed. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. And today we have Amy Silvis with us. How are you doing, Amy? I'm amazing. How are you? Doing great. Excited for this conversation we're going to have. Amy is the founder of Silvis Capital, which buys large multifamily complexes in emerging markets throughout the U.S. with their investors. They focus on class B properties with a value add component. She is currently the GP of 276 units in Evansville, Indiana, 20 units in Huntsville, Alabama, 58 units in Clarksville, Tennessee, 
and 80 units in Augusta, Georgia. It took her close to 10 years to enter the commercial real estate multifamily space due to her cystic fibrosis. She's now been on the GP side for seven months, seven months, and she's already got four deals under her belt. And Amy is based in Los Angeles. So you've had a pretty busy seven months, haven't you? (laughs) It helps to have partners, right? They say it's a team sport. So under no illusion that I've done this all on my own, but it's been great. Well, tell us, Amy, what got you into commercial real estate? This is my favorite question. (laughs) As you mentioned briefly in my bio, I'm not shy about some of the health challenges I grew up with. For those who don't know what cystic fibrosis is, it's a genetic illness where essentially the lungs kind of give out over time. So from a very young age, this story is good. I promise it's it's not going to end up to be a downer. Please please continue. (laughs) There is nothing about you right now that is telling me you're a downer. Oh, thanks. Appreciate it. From a very young age, I kind of understood my mortality, but also had this really strong drive to be self-sufficient. So I searched and searched for ways to become independent, kind of a bigger, badder W-2, that kind of thinking, and eventually stumbled on to multifamily real estate as a way to really decouple my ability to trade my time for money. As you can imagine, as it ties into health, knowing that perhaps one day my health might not be so great, this was a really exciting solution to support myself. So it's a kind of a quick rundown. So I think you said accidentally stumbled. I'd like to unpack that. How did that actually happen? Yeah. So on my journey, I used to work in biotech. I was excited to be able to find an industry where I could give back to others, especially having health challenges, knowing how important it is to be able to help others in their time of need when they have bad health. I was always looking for the bigger, badder job, as I mentioned, with higher income. I went and I got my MBA. I took two years off to be able to do that. And wouldn't you know, right after I graduated, I stumbled upon that purple book that we all know of called Rich Dad, Poor Dad, randomly at the Santa Monica Library, and my head popped off. I just couldn't believe that there was such a thing as passive income, and it was attainable. I have to give a shout out to the Best Ever podcast real quick. I got my dad listening, and it wasn't until he realized how many times I referenced Rich Dad, Poor Dad on this podcast that he finally read it for himself. I'm so excited to be able to talk to him about it. Uh, Um, Slocum's dad, good job. Yes, he's already retired and has a great retirement and a great lifestyle that he thoroughly enjoys. So it's going to be a different kind of conversation, but I'm looking forward to it because it is a really important book. It's been really important to me for the last nine years, at least. You said it took you 10 years to enter the space due to cystic fibrosis. Why 10 years? What was the reason for the delay? Thank you for that. Part of cystic fibrosis is chronic lung infections that require hospitalizations for two weeks at a time, often several times a year. And despite the energetic person that you see me as today, (laughs) holding down a W-2 while trying to do a side hustle of real estate just really ran my health down. It was even someone like myself that thought I had superwoman powers uh, struggled to overcome. Thankfully, around two years ago, right before the beginning of the pandemic, a miracle medication came to the market for cystic fibrosis and really unlocked my ability to finally enter into the space. So it took a while, but the persistence paid off for sure. So that's 10 years before you participate in the general partnership of a deal, but I imagine that's 10 years of studying, research, networking. Am I wrong? 
You're spot on. It's all about laying the groundwork. Yeah. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you pop off four deals in your first six months. So how did that happen? Chronologically, correct me where I'm wrong. It's like a miracle drug, some sort of time elapsed. And then all of a sudden, all four of these deals at once. Were these all in the works at the same time? How did you come across all four so quickly? Yeah, your point about the timeline, the big kind of exponential growth factor there was finding like-minded partners with similar values. So I am an only child, (laughs) but I learned very quickly that working with others, finding others, and that's where Quattro Capital came in. I found Maurice Philogene. Many probably recognize his name in this space. Our values aligned firmly about real estate is great for money. Money is not a bad thing, but really it's a vehicle to be able to buy ourselves time, own geographic freedom, and of course, be able to give to others. So once I was able to sync up with him with a deal that I had found, things just rolled as the other parts of Quattro Capital were able to surround me and we would partner to be able to take down many of these deals. Nice. Evansville, Indiana, Huntsville, Alabama, Clarksville, Tennessee, Augusta, Georgia. So the South and the Midwest. How many different emerging markets were you looking in to end up in those four? Well, I'm sure many people can agree it is a seller's market to say the least, right? So we looked very heavily with emerging markets. Obviously, it's a little bit easier in the Southeast. And it's just really a matter of understanding those demographics, but also understanding where perhaps not everyone was looking for deals. We weren't competing with institutional money. So it is, to answer your question, several emerging markets combined with great opportunity. Gotcha. In all of this so far, Amy, what has been your steepest learning curve? Whether that be an experience you've had or a hurdle that you had to get over or something that you had to sort out, what's your biggest learning curve? I think the biggest learning curve was getting my first deal and finding my first deal. I'm sure many of the listeners can relate. When you're the brand new kid on the block, getting credibility, making brokers believe that you're going to be able to take the deal across the finish line was something I really struggled with before I had the aha moment of how I could leverage a team and develop a mutually beneficial relationship with folks that already had experience. You bring up something that a lot of people, if not all people who get into this space feel, I'm new. No one's going to take me seriously. I don't have any experience and I need to convince different kinds of people investors, lenders, brokers, that I'm going to be able to perform in a space where I've never operated before. Give us some of the specifics of what that looked like for you putting your first deals together with the understanding that all of our guts turn hearing you say that because we've all had that same feeling. Give us some specifics about getting it done for your first deal. Happy to. So the biggest piece, as I alluded to, was finding partners. And the way I found Quattro Capital and Partners was by figuring out what their needs were. I think all of us have the thought process of this is what I need, this is where I want to go. But I really tried to flip it on its head and figure out what do these folks who I think are amazing, have great experience and great knowledge, what do they need that I could possibly provide and kind of give freely with an abundance mentality and knowing that that would eventually lead to them knowing, liking and trusting me because I was able to put them first and provide value there. I don't know if that's specific enough, but I'm happy to keep going if you'd like to learn more. 
If I were trying to give that answer a punchline, Amy, it would be that you networked your way out of the newbie dilemma. Perfectly said. Cool. Why Evansville, Huntsville, Clarksville, and Augusta? All emerging markets, all at various kind of stages of emergence, but we love looking at job growth first and foremost. I know of all of those that you mentioned, Evansville probably doesn't pop up as the sexiest market everyone's thought of right now, (laughs) but we see it as being likely growing on the scale of Chattanooga. I think Chattanooga maybe about 20 years ago before VW came in, Toyota's setting up a big plant and it's kind of a similar size there. And the state of Indiana is investing massively. So that brings me to my next point is the state, our local governments investing in infrastructure. Are they on kind of top lists for where folks want to live? Is it affordable? So we look really heavily, and by we, it's a little bit of an obsession that I lead with the folks I work with, just because we know the power of what an emerging market can do to appreciation. So that's what they all have in common. They're all within our chosen property manager's sphere of operation as well, which was an important piece. Gotcha. Amy, within your partnership, what do you specialize in? You said you really like analyzing what's happening in the job market in these areas. What is your stake in potatoes? I would definitely say the market research, as you mentioned. Also, I do bring deals. I find deals. I build relationships with brokers and sellers, and I dabble in capital raising. I'm out here in Los Angeles. As you can imagine, not a ton of people are interested in investing here, which I get. I'm not either. (laughs) So providing opportunities for folks that are looking to diversify outside of the stock market and paper assets. So I do a little bit of everything to answer your question. I know that's not the uh, straightforward bread and butter, maybe answer you were looking for, but I'm a little bit of a generalist in that sense. We'll get back to the show with the first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Let me ask you a question. Do you want to start your own syndication business or maybe you've tried, but you've been unable to get your first apartment deal? Well, it's hard. I know firsthand getting started in syndication is not easy. So have you considered working with a mentor? Imagine working one-on-one with a full-time syndicator who can help you do your first apartment building deal faster, help you avoid big mistakes, and scale your portfolio. If you feel like I'm speaking to you right now, then I want you to check out the mentoring program from my friend Michael Blanc, who specializes in helping people get started with apartment buildings. I've known Michael for many years now. Now, and he genuinely wants to help people become financially free. He developed a proven system and has helped hundreds of people do their first apartment building deal. I know he can help you as well. To find out more, text the word Joe, J-O-E, to 66866. I know Michael's going to take care of you. Go ahead and text the word Joe, J-O-E, to 66866. Do it right now while it's fresh on your mind and let's get you started with your own apartment syndication business. I'd like to introduce you to my good friends over at PassiveInvesting.com, a private equity real estate firm based out of the Carolinas. PassiveInvesting.com makes it easy for you to start investing in real estate. They focus on acquiring institutional quality apartments and self-storage facilities with private accredited investor funds. They also have a real estate debt fund that offers hard money loans to local fix and flippers across the U.S., which currently has a 0% default rate. With a portfolio of over $700 million in assets and controlling over $250 million in equity, they know how to secure the best deals and how to avoid the red flags. If you are interested in learning more, please reach out directly to PassiveInvesting.com and request the free Passive 
Investor Guide that outlines the seven red flags for passive apartment and self-storage investing. Visit PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags to download that PDF now. That's PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags. Market analysis and capital raising. In your backyard, you've got a great opportunity for capital raising, I would imagine. I don't know where your literal backyard is, but being in Los Angeles, that should put you in a good opportunity for capital raising. I'm in Cincinnati, Ohio. You're in a better oh. spot for it than I am, at least. <laughs> I used to live there. It's a great city. Oh, nice. Cool. So these emerging markets in the South and in the Midwest, Amy, we're talking about markets where you're projecting job growth. Are you underwriting to the five-year hold? Is the plan to hold these for about that amount of time and then sell? I love that question. It is. We really go by what our investors demand. So the five-year hold is kind of the industry standard in that respect. That being said, as probably others have seen that are invested in emerging markets, we're reaching some of our five-year pro formas in 18 months. <laughs> We've got a portfolio, Knoxville, Tennessee, that we have on the market that we think that market's tapped out and we think it best serves our investors to sell at this point, even though it's a little bit of a shorter turnaround and go find the next emerging market. So the plan is five years. We don't ever promise anything short of that, but sometimes circumstances arrive like in Knoxville, where we go ahead and have a disposition early. Gotcha. Underwriting to the five-year hold. I am a buy and long-term hold investor, Warren Buffett style, buy and don't sell. Happy to trade up, but I'm not underwriting personally to a five-year hold. I am underwriting to what my grandkids will inherit. So Amy, you said Evansville, Indiana feels like Chattanooga, Tennessee 20 years ago. When I hear that, that makes me want to buy in Evansville, Indiana and hold it for 20 years. Yes. I have a feeling I know your answer already, but I'd still like your opinion on this because you're in this deal. Why not buy something in a market like Evansville and just continue to see that long-term appreciation, rent growth, increasing cash flow? Is it simply that you need to provide an IRR to your LPs and that the sale is going to be what does that? I love this because it shows the nuances of how you can customize these deals based on what the GPs want and what the LPs want, right? And your point yeah. is well taken. I think all of us want that long-term multi-generational wealth. So there's several strategies. We say in our PPM and we let our investors know that they may be refinanced out of the deal as opposed to us selling. That's one option. Okay. And as you mentioned, some folks need liquidity. LPs aren't happy with a 10-year hold. The other thought process is as you think of an emerging market and kind of the slope there without getting too mathematically in depth, you really have kind of a little bit of an S curve, right? So you have appreciation and rents that are increasing at an increasing rate, and then you have them kind of roll over and they're increasing at maybe a decreasing rate. That doesn't mean that they're decreasing. It just means that the rate of change is decreasing. We love to hit these markets when they're increasing at an increasing rate. So if we can be in the market during that cycle or that part of the cycle and then find the next emerging market and keep hitting that, we find that our investors appreciate kind of that market identification and being in the emerging market kind of at the most lucrative point. So that doesn't mean that there won't continually be growth in Evansville and we won't stay there in some sort of capacity. 
But at five years, we want to find the next Evansville <laughs> that, that's taking off and that is really emerging like that. That's a really helpful explanation, Amy. Thank you. The trajectory, the acceleration rate of rent growth. Is the rent growth accelerating or decelerating while still growing? That makes a lot of sense to hit that point where you see the top of the bell curve coming, even if rents aren't going to go down. You see that the rent growth is slowing and that's a good time to get out because it also means with rent growth and with projected future rent growth, it's still going to be an easily saleable asset because somebody else is going to want that growth. You said it's in your agreement that you may refinance LPs out. Talk me through the logistics of that. You as the GPs decide you want to hold on to an asset and go ahead and deliver the ultimate return to the LPs that they were looking for. Walk me through the step-by-step of how you make that decision, that that's what you want to do. And you decide this is an asset you want to hold longer and what it is that you've agreed to disperse to your LPs in the event that you make that decision. Candidly, we've never done it before. (laughs) It is something we have on the table. We like to be able to be fully transparent about what can go on. But what I just mentioned to you about the emerging market equation, we want to participate in that too. So we know full well that the market can go where it goes. And sometimes scenarios are difficult to think of five years in advance. So we give ourselves that option. So above and beyond that, I wish I could provide you some experience in that respect, but we just haven't reached that point. We've always decided to sell up until this point. So let's talk about it hypothetically then. And again, best ever listeners, I'm asking the question that I want the answer to and bringing you along to hopefully get some value. Thinking like a long-term hold person myself, yeah. if I were engaging in deals, underwriting to the five-year hold the way that you are, I would be excited at the opportunity of being able to deliver the promised return yep. and retain the asset. Mm-hmm. So speaking hypothetically, What are the hypothetical conditions, Amy, in which you see that happening with one of your assets? Not necessarily one of the current ones, but forecasting into the future. Under what circumstances do you refi, deliver on your promises to your LPs and keep the asset? So I think the biggest scenario, of course, is serving the LPs, right? So we're in constant communication with them. If they want liquidity, if they want five years is up for them. Everyone has individual circumstances. So that's kind of the general thought process and theme that we get from our investors, then that's the number one priority as to if we and the GP team felt like it would be a good idea to hold, but our investors are telling us that they want money back. We can have that conversation. Something else to keep in mind is we're all kind of looking at these cap rates going, holy moly, (laughs) how much lower can they go? What's going on in the market? So hypothetically, I think we've all had the issue of, yeah, it's great to sell. We'd be able to realize a lot of appreciation, but where are we going to put the money? Where else are we going to put it? So ideally finding the next emerging market is great, but I think if we are unable to find something that makes business sense to redeploy 1031 into or something like that, holding the asset while also giving our investors back their return, I think could hypothetically make a lot of sense in that scenario. Gotcha. One last thing before we move to the last section of this interview, Amy, the more distressed the asset is when you purchase it, the more opportunity you have to force appreciation. So you focus on B-class value add in these emerging markets. And you said you have been able to reach 
your five-year expectations in 18 months, have you considered purchasing more distressed assets that require more activity on the front end in order to produce a higher return or possibly produce appreciation so much that you could refinance out your LPs, deliver their return and still leave some equity on the table for yourselves to get a loan instead of having to sell? Absolutely. The asset I mentioned in Augusta is just that. It is a full gut. A heavy lift is a light term for what's going on there. The previous owner was put in jail for for fraud. There's some interesting element that we've had to work through to kind of turn over the tenant base. And yeah, we're pouring in quite a bit of money. So yes, we do occasionally dabble in that type, exactly what you mentioned. There is some great appreciation we can force there, but the flip side of it is we're in inflation. We're in the highest inflation we've seen in 40 right. years. And that's a wild thing to be able to project and control costs and, and still be able to do all that. So it yeah. can be done. But even though I dye my hair, I'd still like to not be fully gray <laughs> with, totally. with all the stress there. So we'll do it every once in a while. All right, Amy, are you ready for our best ever lightning round? Let's go. Amy, what is your best ever way to give back? I love an organization called Emily's Entourage. I mentioned how life-changing the new cystic fibrosis drug has been for me over the past two years. And unfortunately, there are about 10% of people with cystic fibrosis that do not benefit from this medication. As you can imagine, the devastation that we all feel for those folks who are quote-unquote left behind, we are determined and we focus every day to making sure that we find something for them. So Emily's entourage is who I dedicate my time giving back to make sure my dear friend, Emily Kramer, Golenkoff, and the other folks in that part of the cystic fibrosis community get to enjoy the health that I do. Wow. What is your best ever book you recently read? I just reread The Creature from Jekyll Island for about the fifth yes. time. <laughs> It's amazing how things play out and what I read five years ago, now fast forward five years ahead, right. how poignant it is. So I can't read that book enough. I can't recommend it enough. It is eye-opening and I recommend it to everybody. It's a long book though. Make sure you have an extended weekend or some long amount of time that you can dedicate to reading it, but high quality information in there. Sure that definitely it's a powerfully opinionated book but it is also very eye-opening as to how our federal monetary system works. Very helpful. What, Amy, is your best ever advice? Best ever advice is to have the go-giver mentality. I don't know if anyone's read that book by Mr. Berg, but- Another good one. Uh, another incredible one, but it is such a powerful way to live. Obviously it involves empathy, but you're really unstoppable when you think about others before yourself, how you can serve others, whether it's in business or in your personal life, there's just no limit to what can be done and what good will come to you when you care about the needs and the wants of others. So that's my best ever advice. Amy, where can people get in touch with you? Sure. I love LinkedIn. I'm very active there. So please get in touch with me over on LinkedIn. And of course, my website, sylviscapital.com, spelled S-Y-L-V-I-S. That's it. Awesome. Well, Amy, thank you. This has been a great conversation. Best ever listeners, thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed listening in on this conversation, please do follow and subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a five-star review and share this with someone who could benefit from what Amy has shared with us today. Thank you and have a best ever day. Thanks so much.